Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. This is Jamie Rosenberg, Assistant Editor for the American Journal of Managed Care. Opioid abuse continues to clean thousands of lives each year, and stakeholders from around the country continue to put forward efforts to try and gain holds of the epidemic. Just last month, President Trump signed a package of bills aimed at reducing demand, cutting the flow of illegal drugs into the country, and expanding evidence-based treatment. In addition to policymakers, other stakeholders have launched efforts focused on appropriate prescribing patterns and identifying those most at risk for opioid misuse and abuse. Among these groups is Axial Healthcare, a company using big data to fight the epidemic. Using the nation's largest claims database, the company helps providers effectively manage patients' pain and prevent the overprescribing of prescription opioids. Today, we sit down with Dr. Elizabeth Stringer, the Chief Science and Clinical Officer of Axial Healthcare. So to start off, can you tell us a little bit about Axial Healthcare and what you do there? Axial Healthcare was founded back in 2012 uh, by two pain management physicians who noticed that their patients um, in pain that were being treated with opioids were not actually getting better. Um, In fact, their health was deteriorating over time. And they thought they could do a better job of helping physicians make better decisions when it comes to pain care for their patients. Uh, We have uh, moved from two co-founding physicians into a company of just over a hundred multidisciplinary team where we bring together uh, analytics and uh, scientific evidence uh, to make better assessment of the pain patient population and the providers uh, that provide care to them to assess quality of care being delivered. Um, Those analytics help us target providers that need outreach and education, as well as the patients that need better support in their pain care. We deliver information through our technology-enabled solution directly to health plans, uh, to providers, and to patients. And then to help drive those end users to our products and those analytical assets and decision support, We have a team of clinicians, mainly pharmacists who are specially trained in pain management uh, to help support uh, the providers in delivering better care to patients as well as the patients uh, play a more active role in their own pain care. Uh, We do this through partnering with health plans um, and we go after large aggregators of lives. So either the large commercial payers or state agencies uh, that are at risk uh, for these patient populations and help them do a better job of delivering care. And how is data being used to contradict the longstanding myths about pain in the opioid space? There are a lot of myths out there about uh, patients in pain, uh, patients with opioid use disorder, and we can bring in the scientific literature as well as large bits of data to help us understand these patient populations better than we understand them now. 
Um, one of the things that we find so often in the space of opioid use disorder um, are some mythologies around the difference between uh, diagnoses for opioid dependence versus uh, diagnoses for opioid misuse and abuse. Uh, so often uh, providers, um, so often providers uh, think that their patients are very stable on their long-term opioid use, and they diagnose these patients with opioid dependence. And uh, they think that there is a very large difference um, in this patient population from those that are actively um, in the throes of addiction, where there are these behavioral concerns about seeking medication and misusing it. Uh, what we have been able to find from the data is that when uh, ICD codes, which are used to diagnose patients with opioid use disorder, uh, these come in F11 um, codes, uh, there is F11.2, um, which are used for opioid dependence, and then there are other F11 codes that are used for opioid misuse and abuse. Uh, what we have actually found is that the characteristics of medical utilization for these patients is quite similar, regardless of whether they have opioid dependence or opioid misuse and abuse. Uh, what this uh, helps us understand is that while uh, there is this understanding in the medical community for those patients that just have opioid dependency, that these patients are stable and not high utilizers um, of healthcare and are not at high risk, um, what actually we see is a pattern where they are high utilizers and they utilize medical, um, uh, medical care um, at similar rates through a long period of time similar to the patterns of those that are diagnosed with opioid, uh, opioid abuse and misuse. Um, we don't know what drives those patterns of high utilization, and our, uh, our basic analysis has not led us to understand what these drivers are um, in these utilization patterns. All it's done so far has been able to say that these patterns are the same. They're very similar in these populations. We need to take the next steps to start to dive deeper into that analysis to understand why these patients are looking similar and they are not, um, they are not uh, as stable as, has been, um, as providers have been led to believe. Can you identify individuals who are at risk for future opioid use disorder by using machine learning? We are really excited uh, that our access to large amounts of data um, has been uh, uh, has given us the ability to start to use uh, these new statistical analyses and machine learning algorithms uh, to help us describe the patient populations uh, better than we ever have before. Uh, our team of scientists uh, brought together uh, large bits of data across multiple types of populations, so both Medicare, those 65 and older, Medicaid, uh, patients um, that uh, don't often have a lot of access to healthcare, as well as commercial populations, brought all of this data together 
uh, to understand what are those characteristics um, within a patient population where we can actually predict that a patient within the next 12 months is going to get a diagnosis for opioid use disorder. Uh, this not only brought together a lot, um, a lot of data, um, over uh, 5 million lives worth of data, um, what we also did was look at a number of different variables that might drive a patient to opioid use disorder. So there's a little less than uh, a thousand different variables that we were able to bring into our large algorithm. And uh, we uh, used 80% of that data to start to train the model. And what we found was just around 400 of those variables um, were uh, very strong at helping us predict who was going to traverse into opioid use disorder. Um, and then we were able to validate uh, that model on the remaining 20% of the patients with a high degree of accuracy. Um, this lets us understand not only patients who are currently using opioids who might be high risk and um, vulnerable to traversing into opioid use disorder, but even those patients who aren't currently receiving opioids. Um, we know that they are very likely to diverse into opioid use disorder in the next 12 months. So it's really exciting um, that we are bringing together uh, large data sets so that we can start to predict and understand what might happen um, in, in a patient's um, uh, immediate future um, and start to think about uh, courses of action we can take uh, to prevent that from happening. We all know that once a patient moves into opioid use disorder, uh, it's obviously a lot of healthcare utilization and high expense, uh, but opioid use disorder is a chronic relapsing disorder that a patient is going to have to manage the rest of their life. And if we can prevent that from happening, of course we want to be able to do that. Are veterans at a higher risk of opioid abuse than other demographics? And if so, why? The VA has been a great partner, um, and a lot of wonderful research has, has come out of the VA when it comes to pain management uh, and opioid use disorder. Uh, the uh, military population is um, at increased risk more than the general population um, of traversing into opioid use disorder. Uh, one of the reasons for that um, uh, of course, is the, the stress and exposure um, to uh, things that most everyday Americans aren't exposed to. Um, what we found in, um, in our predictive model for opioid use disorder is that behavioral health conditions are actually um, uh, the best predictors of who is going to traverse into opioid use disorder, who is going to get diagnosed with opioid use disorder. And uh, the military population has a high percentage of, um, of their population uh, that have stress disorders, post-traumatic stress disorder, um, anxiety, and um, oftentimes depression. Uh, so it's typically around uh, the behavioral health um, aspects that, that make this um, population vulnerable. Um, 
pain and opioid use disorder are both biopsychosocial um, conditions. Um, so it's it's not just the bio part or the behavioral health part, but also the the social part to it too. And um, unfortunately, as a society, we don't always do a great job of socially supporting our veterans as they come back uh, to America. And um, again, this sort of social component makes them more vulnerable um, to um, uh, to traversing into opioid use disorder. So what are some intervention techniques that your clients have used that have been successful? So the opioid crisis in America continues to grow and, and evolve over time. Uh, one of the challenges is the diverse patient population uh, that receive opioids. Um, what we help uh, the health plans do is uh, general outreach and education to providers on who within the patient population is uh, actually um, uh, appropriate for opioid prescribing. Uh, so a lot of the success that the plans have had early on is less on specific targeted patient populations of a, of a very specific type and more just a general education of providers of best practices. Uh, so one of the things I think uh, the American public might not understand is that within the medical education, uh, MDs receive very little training in pain management, uh, which is ironic because pain is just a symptom that something is, is wrong with the body, and it traverses um, all different specialties uh, within, uh, within medicine. Um, it's also the number one reason that patients uh, go and see their doctors is, is for a pain complaint. And we know that for a long time, physicians were taught that when a patient does present with a pain complaint, if the patient is taking the opioids for the pain, that's safe and low risk. What we have learned over time is that that's not exactly true. Um, opioids can be quite effective at treating pain uh, in the acute setting um, for a specific part of the population with specific diagnoses. Um, a good example is that low back pain is kind of the number one complaint of patients uh, with pain. Um, but opioids are not indicated for patients with low back pain. So raising the awareness, um, having the, the provider population understand who is appropriate to prescribe opioids to and at what levels, um, we're able to help the, the health plans have early success in getting opioids to the correct patients um, and avoiding opioid initiation where it's not appropriate. So there are currently three FDA-approved opioid use disorder medications methadone, buprenorphine, and naltrexone. Since adoption of these medications is low by treatment providers, reimbursement varies considerably among private and public payers. Given the variability among the medications, do your clients see these products as cost-effective? One of the earliest challenges that we had at Axial um, with helping the plans understand 
what were some of the large drivers and waste when it comes to medical healthcare utilization um, is around the pain and opioid space. Uh, so opioids are typically generic and they cost the plans very little, but they lead to downstream overutilization because it puts the patients at risk for um, uh, emergency department visits, for inpatient hospital stays, and ends up driving up uh, care over time. Very similarly, um, we are doing the same thing in the opioid use disorder space. Uh, plans uh, look at uh, buprenorphine, suboxone, uh, Vivitrol as expensive treatments, particularly when that uh, medication-assisted therapy, it's not just the medication that might be expensive, but also the assisted part, that behavioral health support and therapy, uh, the case management and, and social support. Um, what we help the plans see is that when patients are treated in this comprehensive manner that addresses the biopsychosocial issues of opioid use disorder, it actually decreases cost not only in the long run, but very much in the, in the short run as well. Um, what happens is that when patients with opioid use disorder do not receive this comprehensive treatment, their rates of relapse skyrocket and this leads to increase in ED and inpatient utilization um, at the hospital, which uh, is completely unnecessary and can be mitigated uh, when plans uh, support and um, reimburse providers for that comprehensive patient treatment. To read more on the opioid epidemic and efforts being taken to combat it, visit AJMC.com or see the show notes. To get in touch with us, you can email info at AJMC.com or follow us on Twitter at AJMC underscore journal. And if you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and rate us.